so thankful to be able to be together in the presence of God to honor and glorify him this evening. We do have a number of visitors with us tonight, some from uh, faraway places. We're thankful that you can be with us. And it is a wonderful thing. It's a privilege, really, to come together to honor the God of heaven. I know many of you feel that way this evening, and that's what we'll be trying to do and have done as we've read his word and sung songs and prayed prayer and honored already the God who made us and loves us and has given his son for us. So thank you for being here. Donovan led a song uh, this last Wednesday night, and uh, as many of you know, I don't really plan my sermons way far in advance, (laughs) and Wednesday night is actually probably pretty soon for me to start thinking about a sermon, but he led a song as an invitation the other night, Love Lifted Me. It's an old song. We've sung it many, many times. If we've been Christians very long, probably sung it hundreds of times if you're as old as I am. Um, And every time I sing it, as is the case with many songs, I'm moved, I'm uplifted. Uh, There's teaching that is done. My heart is elevated. And I, I think probably many of us feel that way about the songs that we sing as well. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's rare at my age that you sing a song that you've been singing all your life and come to realize that it's saying something that you never noticed before. (laughs) And uh, I'm going to share that a little bit with you tonight. It's not the main part of our lesson, but we're going to be talking about Love Lifted Me. This is a popular hymn. It was written by a man by the name of James Rowe in 1912. And the lyrics draw from two stories in the gospel, really. Uh, one found in Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, when you remember Jesus was asleep, went to sleep in a boat that was crossing the Sea of Galilee, and the big storm comes up, and uh, the disciples are afraid, and they wake him, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus says, peace be still, and there's this great calm, and, every, and the disciples wonder, who can this be, <laughs> that even the winds and the waves obey him? And the other account, uh, more specifically, that uh, Roe was thinking about when he wrote this song is in Matthew chapter 14. I'd invite you to turn there. As you're turning there, I'll tell you that James Roe was not particularly an extraordinary person. He was born in England, the son of a copper miner, in 1865. He immigrated to the United States in a boat over rough seas, so he knew something about that, uh, from Ireland. In America, he was a railroad worker in New York and uh, later became an inspector for the Hudson River Humane Society. So again, just a sort of an ordinary person in a lot of ways. Uh, but a lot of ordinary people do great things and write great hymns for us as well. And I think that's the case with this. In Matthew chapter 14, we remember the story in both... Uh, Matthew and John in his gospel definitely put what happens here right after the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle of Jesus besides the resurrection that's recorded in all four gospels. And this event is covered rather specifically in at least two of them. But here we have Jesus having fed the 5,000, sends the disciples away in the boat over the Sea of Galilee, decides somewhere after praying all through the night in the fourth watch of the night, so coming on towards morning after having prayed, no doubt, a long time, decides that he's going to join the disciples, and he comes to them walking on the water. Nothing unusual about that, right? (laughs) 
This is what one would expect of the Son of God, for sure. We preached this in a lesson not too long ago. It's an amazing sign. Even today, when we talk about people that can do great things, we say, well, he can walk on water. She walks on water. Jesus literally walks on water. And that's what you would expect of the one who is God in the flesh. The disciples are in the boat in the middle of... um, uh, some wind coming up and uh, a bit of trouble trying to row. Uh, Mark records that they were rowing, but they weren't getting anywhere. And Jesus came walking so fast, he might have passed them by. Uh, he was going so much faster than they were. But in, in Matthew's account, we have some interesting and different information. He comes up and they recognize him finally as he identifies himself in verse 27, walking on the water. He says to them, be of good cheer as I do not be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus lifted Peter from a horrifying experience, an awful experience. I don't know how many of you have been in the water at a time when maybe you couldn't swim well or the water was especially rough and you had a doubt for a moment if you were going to be able to get back to the surface and breathe or maybe swim to land or whatever it was. It's a really frightening thought. I have been in that situation a time or two. You're in the water and I found myself, I don't know if this is physically possible, but I felt like I was sweating in the water. You know, because you just break out in this this really nervous feeling that comes over you. And I understand why sometimes they say swimmers just freeze up. Peter was a good swimmer. I know that because in John chapter 21, uh, after the resurrection of Christ, some of the disciples had gone back to Galilee and were fishing. Uh, and they fished all night and caught no fishes. And Jesus came walking on the water that morning, walking on the shore, I should say, that morning, comes walking on the shore and calls out to them, children, have you any fish? Have you caught anything? And they say no. And he says, well, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And they did catch so many fish, 153 large fish, that they were having trouble getting them in. But Peter and John, apparently, who's the other disciple there, recognize that's got to be Jesus on the shore. And Peter, of all things, puts on his coat, In all the movies, they always take off the coat, but Peter puts on his coat, jumps in the water, and swims to Jesus. The text says they're about 200 cubits off the shore. That means that Peter could swim 100 yards. I'm not sure if I can swim 100 yards. Peter's a good swimmer. But the wind was up. The boat was in the midst of the sea. Peter thought in faith, He could walk on the water because Jesus said, come. 
And the problem, what problem wasn't, of course, that Jesus would be unable to keep Peter on top of the water. The problem was that Peter's faith couldn't keep him on top of the water. Would have been a much different lesson, of course, if Jesus had just let him drown, right? <laughs> the lesson, of course, uh, is, is not about love so much, although Jesus' love for His disciples is seen throughout this incident and all of His dealings with them. Jesus' love on that day earlier, the day before, in feeding the 5,000, His compassion for people always comes out, doesn't it? But James Rowe, in writing this song, takes that event and the earlier event of Jesus stilling the storm and combines them into poetic language and compares those events to a sinner being rescued from the sea of sin. I was sinking deep in sin. Far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted even me. And that's the part of the song that always gets me. Always has. That little echo part right there. Love lifted me and then love lifted even me. We'll explore the significance of that as we go a little bit further into the lesson. But to start tonight, and we think about uh, how Christ has lifted us out of the depths of sin. My clicker is not working to advance the slides. Let's consider how, lo how love, the love of Christ, lifted us from sin when we were sinking deep in sin. You know, Peter was not only lifted from the water, but Peter was lifted from sin, wasn't he? By the love of Christ. At, at the, the first real miracle that Jesus showed Peter by the Sea of Galilee, that first big catch of fish, Jesus calls Peter. When Peter saw what had happened, he says in Luke chapter 5 and verse 8, he falls down at the feet of Jesus and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Peter was in fact sinking deep in sin, so deep in sin that he didn't think he should have anything to do with the one that he could see was the Messiah to come. And then, Jesus says, follow me. It's okay, just follow me. And I'll make you a fisher of men. And Peter does follow him. And for over three years, apparently, Peter is following Jesus. And he follows him all the way, the night that he was betrayed. And at a distance, when he's taken to the compound the house of the high priest, and he's on trial there. And Peter gets let in there by a servant girl and comes in, and as Jesus had foretold, winds up denying Christ 
curses and says, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. So from a man who says, first of all, at one of his first encounters with Jesus, not the first, but one of them, in Luke chapter 5, depart from me for I am a sinful man. And then at the end of all of this time, I don't even know him. Won't even admit. Won't even acknowledge that he has a relationship with Jesus Christ after all this time. If you look at that and you say, well, how far has Peter come? And the answer is, well, not very far. He's learned a lot. He's seen a lot. He really knows who Jesus is. One would say, well, he has grown a lot during that time. Yeah. But how much better off is he at that moment in time than he was when he says, I'm a sinful man? I don't think Peter thinks he's much better off. For he says, or the text says, that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He was sinking deep in sin. Very deeply stained within. And I wonder, it's really not a wonder, I I am confident that Peter's thoughts at that moment would have been kind of the thoughts that you and I would have. Kind of the thoughts that you and I do have when we disappoint Jesus by sinning against Him. Because we disappoint ourselves. And we ask ourselves the questions of doubt. Will, will I ever be able to get back into a right relation? Will I ever be able to be the person Jesus wants me to be and accept the grace that He's offering me and get out of this pit of sin? Wouldn't it have been the same for Peter? I know it was. We've often looked at John chapter 21. In fact, I think I preached a sermon on this not too long ago. I call it the redemption of Peter. You wonder why all of that happens, why all of that's recorded in John 21 with the the other catch of the fish and Peter swimming to the shore and Jesus then having this very moving conversation with Peter. Uh, Simon, do you love me? (laughs) I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Oh yes, I love you. Well, tend my sheep. Uh, Simon, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter was grieved because Jesus had asked him three times, exactly the number of times he denied him just a few weeks earlier. Think that was on Peter's mind? Probably so. I think he was wondering, am I ever going to be of any use to the Master? Am I ever going to have the relationship with Him that I need to have, that I want to have? No doubt. And Jesus brings Peter back. And he obviously becomes one of the most useful servants of the Lord that ever walked the face of the earth. Despite the fact that at one time, more than one time, He was sinking deep in sin. Love lifted Peter. And Peter will later write in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again into a living hope. 
Well, that's a different man than the man who said, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. I'm a new man. I'm a new man in Christ. And I have a living hope. Not just He, but all who come into the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What about Saul of Tarsus? Saul was lifted from the depths of sin. 1 Timothy chapter 1, of course, uh, clearly he states this. And in, in, a, in a passage that every, every sinner must find joy in reading. For he says, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy, just as Peter obtained mercy. Paul obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance as Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. It was love that lifted Paul and elevated him to serve the Lord. But more than that, lifted him out of the depths of sin. And Paul writes in very personal terms about this in the book of Romans. He talks about the struggle of, of, of sin and spirit within him, flesh and spirit within him, and how sin had ruled him, and how no matter how hard he was trying, when he was walking in the flesh, he couldn't overcome it. And he begs the question in Romans chapter 7 and verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me out of this death? Sinking deep in sin. So far, so far. But he answers his own question in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Two things that Paul keys us in on as far as getting out of the depths of sin. First of all, don't walk in the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. Secondly, there is no condemnation if you're in Christ. In Christ Jesus, we're freed from sin. For he says, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Free. The answer to the question, who will deliver me out of the body of this death? Who will raise me from the depths of sin? Is Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation in Him. Later on in Romans chapter 8, of course, as Paul really is talking about this walk in the Spirit, this life in Christ, he has many things to say, including a pretty good discussion of our great hope, but also the great love that God has for us. And you know, toward the end of Romans 8, he winds up in talking about the love that has lifted him and lifted all of us. And he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Romans 8 and verse 35. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, not even the peril of the depths of the sea? No, it cannot separate you from the love of Christ. Because he says, in all these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Love lifted Paul. Love lifted Peter. And love lifted me. Love lifted me from the depths of sin. That's what the song says. That's what the Bible says. Go in your Bibles with me now, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. 
In verse 1, the apostle writes, You who made alive, you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. You, no hope. You were drowning. In fact, you were, you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you also walked. You were dead, but you were walking. You were a spiritual zombie with no life and no hope. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once, all of us, once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Again, the same problem that Paul was talking about in Romans 7. The problem is when you walk in the flesh, you're going to die. When you try to make your own way in this world, you're going to drown. And we were all once there, walking in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We were dead. We were dead. We were gone. We were hopeless. And then the next verse, verse 6, he says, verse 5 rather, no, verse 6, he raised us up. That's like lifting somebody, isn't it? He raised us up. Love lifted me, love lifted you when we were sinking deep in sin. I think nearly everybody in this room tonight understands these concepts, and I think most all of you have understood them for a long time, if you're Christians. But it's one thing to understand a thing, it's another thing to appreciate that thing and dwell on it and let it continue to motivate and move you to be the person that Jesus loved you to be. Love lifted me to sing His praise. The song Love Lifted Me and just a little phrase there that uh, I had ignored for 60 years at least says, His love merits my soul's best songs. You ever meditated on that very much? I hadn't. Merits my soul's best songs. We sing another song, In His Time. And one of the lines in that song goes... May each song I have to sing be to you a lovely thing in your time. The psalmist, if you look at the psalms, in talking about praising God in song, really repeats this concept that it is God's love for us that stirs in us this desire to praise Him with all of our hearts, with all of our being, the, the best song that we can sing. Not maybe the most melodious song that we can sing, but with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our being. To praise Him because of His love. It's the response of the human heart to the love of the heart of God. It merits my soul's 
best songs. The psalmist says in Psalm 59 and verse 17, O my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love, the ESV says. His constant love for me is what motivates my praise to Him. Psalm 89 and verse 1, I will sing of the steadfast love. The New King James Version says the mercies. We have a song that includes that text as well. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. ESV says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 146 and verse 1 of that psalm says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have being. And then he explains that further in verse 8 of the 146th psalm. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. And then in verse 10, the Lord shall reign forever. Your, your, your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. So you have in that psalm, which is a psalm of praise to God, a hallelujah psalm, over and over, the motivation for that being God's tremendous love for us. And the 119th psalm, which focuses on the Word of God and its power. Psalm 119, toward the end of it, verse 171, My lips shall utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. But in verse 175, it says, Let let my soul live, and it shall praise you, and let your judgments help me. So we praise God for all that He's done, for all the love He's shown us, and for the Word that He's given us that guides our lives. We sing even in the face of conflict and trials, the love of God so guides us and overwhelms us. You might remember the story of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 when he was being attacked by some of the surrounding nations. He consults God about what to do and in verse 21, he taken counsel with the people and appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and to praise Him in holy attire as they went before the army and said, give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love endures forever. You know, they're marching into army against a a, a foe which normally would have outmatched them. Jehoshaphat knows he can't win this battle alone. He's already admitted that. God says, go and I'll give you the victory. And they just go out singing. And they're singing because God loves them. Because of His steadfast concern and care for their well-being. And so whatever trial, conflict, thing that you have to face, whatever you have to march into for a heavenly cause, as the one song used to say, whatever you have to face, God loves you and He's with you. And He'll help you. It merits my soul's best song. Even in the face of trial and tribulation and hardship and conflict, It merits my soul's best song. And you can kind of see that in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and uh, verse 16 is a verse that we have isolated from its context most of the time we use it. Um, Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We know that verse, don't we? 
back up two verses and see what we know about those verses. But above all, but above all, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It flows out of this perfect bond of perfection, which is love and thanksgiving, that we express in our songs our gratitude to God. And so the command, the very command there to sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord is based in fact on our response to God's love and the unity that we have in His love. Lastly tonight, love lifted me to lift others. God's love lifts us to lift others. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. This is what Jesus expects us to do with His love, to lift others with it, to love others. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, Paul had said, walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given Himself for us. An offering to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. We too can lift others out of despair. The tragedies and the troubles and the trials that they're facing in their lives, whether it's sin, just having a bad day, some sickness, you have in you, if you have God's love in you, the ability to lift others with the love of God. Let's use that marvelous gift of love and let's share it with others and lift them. The Apostle Peter will write in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. You see, just as Jesus lifts us out of our sins and our trials and our tribulations with His love, what Peter's saying is, if you'll have love for one another, that'll, that'll really help cover a multitude of sins. Help with a multitude of problems. I was reading a social media post uh, just a couple of days ago by um, Brett Culp. Some of you know Brett. He is a, I'll just say he is a professional encourager. Uh, that's how he makes his living. He uh, is a motivational speaker, uh, primarily, and a filmmaker. But uh, he wrote the other day, just a couple of days ago, he was riding down an escalator at an airport. And he's riding down the escalator. Here, Here's this big crash behind him. And he looks behind him, and there's this suitcase barreling down the escalator right at him, about 30 feet away. And, of course, you know the tension that you would automatically feel. He doesn't know if it's going to knock him off the escalator. There's no place to go, no way to get out of the way. And so he braces himself up against the handrail, and he sticks his foot out, just hoping that he can stop the momentum of this suitcase that's rolling down. And sure enough, it works. <laughs> and, and he gets the thing stopped. It doesn't knock him over. And, you know, he's sweating bullets, apparently, at the time, as sort of he describes it. He was, he was very nervous. But he goes on to say um, that racing behind the bag with an overwhelmed and desperate look on her face was this woman who said, I'm so sorry, it's all my fault, I'm having a terrible day, you, you could have really been hurt. And Brett says, her vulnerability softened my fears. And I replied, don't worry, everything will turn out, turned out fine. And so then I asked her, 
do you need a hug? And she said, yes, I do. And Brett said when they got to the bottom of the elevator, he hugged her. And she was crying, and he was crying. And a guy who had been watching all of that walked over and said, I, I've had time like, times like this, and I get it. And Brett said he offered her a blessing, and they both went on to their flights. It's such a simple thing, isn't it? So many times things happen in our lives, things that might hurt us, things that inconvenience us, things we don't like. We've all had the experience, I know, if you go out to do anything in, in our community now, if you're going through the drive through someplace, going to a restaurant, trying to buy your groceries um, at the pharmacy, just this last week I've had experience with all of those things where things did not go well with the workers who are trying to serve me. There are a lot of different ways we can deal with that. Might I suggest that there are people that you encounter every day that are overwhelmed by their problems, that are hurting, that are trying to do better, that are frustrated, and that frankly are in the depths of sin. And what they need from you and me is love. Jesus loved me when I didn't deserve it. Even me. It gets me every time. Jesus loved me when I didn't deserve it. So that I could love somebody who doesn't deserve it when they need it most. Love lifted me to love and lift others. And that kind of love, friends and brethren, is the love that guarantees our ultimate salvation. Love, true love, shared love, sacrificial love, divine love, lifts us from the fear of torment to a confident hope. In 1 John chapter 4, John makes the point clearly. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 10-12. through 12. And then He says in verse 17, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in the world. If we are loving like Jesus' love, we become like Him as we were talking about this morning. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has, been not, has, has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Do you know how many times in that text he uses the word perfect to describe love? Does it mean you have to be perfect? No, he explains what perfect love is. Love is when you love God and God loves you, but you share that love with somebody else. That's perfected love. Herein is perfected love. That we love one another as God loved us. 
And that's the kind of love. Where you go to sleep at night and you pillow your head. And there's no fear in death. And there's no fear in torment. Because God's love has made it through you. Tonight, love can lift you. I hope it does. I hope the love of Jesus has lifted you out of the depths of sin. And I hope that you'll share it with others to lift them in every way possible. It is our duty as Christians in this world, my friends, to be the light, to elevate the world. If we don't do it, who will? Let's make it our point in living. And if there's one here tonight who doesn't know the love of Christ, please know it. He's got His hand out to you tonight. He's only asking for your faith, for your trust, for your obedience. Come now, while we stand and while we sing.